0: Thank you, Ann Bellers, and thank you, Jack, for so ably leading us in worship uh, this morning. You know, there are some things in life that you really can't prepare for, no matter how hard you try. And one of those things is the birth of a child. No matter how many books you read or diapers you purchase or children you watch and certainly all of those things are helpful uh, but there is nothing that fully prepares you to bring home a baby from the hospital to live with you full time. And I can remember about four years ago bringing home uh, our daughter our first child from the hospital and quickly realizing that there was a lot of care involved and needed for a newborn baby, things like holding and rocking and feeding and um, changing diapers and all sorts of things that sort of show up and take place really with no regard to the pre-existing schedule of the two people already living in the home. And just this last year, May of last year, we experienced this again, bringing home this time a a baby boy from the hospital that uh, was prone to all the sort of same distractions and disruptions that our daughter was. And I don't think I have to convince you of this, if you've been around children at all. You know uh, that caring for children is difficult. Raising children is difficult. It takes a lot of hard work. It doesn't just sort of happen on its own. But the truth is, no matter how many challenges are involved, it is worth it. It's totally worth it. And... I don't really remember what my expectations were, at least my full expectations of becoming a father were, but I can confidently say that becoming a father uh, has exceeded my expectations in many ways. And I'm wondering this morning if any of you have ever experienced anything uh, that exceeded your expectations. You might have been uh, expecting something and then the outcome was totally different from what you expected, perhaps greater than what you expected. And this morning, we're going to look into God's Word and look really at two events, uh, two stories that, though were thousands of years apart, um, coincided into one greater story. And in each of those stories, uh, the outcome was different from the expectations. In fact, in some form or fashion, fashion, the outcome uh, far exceeded the expectations, and interestingly, in both events, in both occasions, uh, the faithfulness of God is highlighted, and was highlighted, and continues to be highlighted through the birth of a promised child. So with that being said, let me invite you to open up God's Word with me to the book of Genesis, the first book in your Bible, Genesis chapter 21, as we continue looking at this portion of God's Word, this story Of God's Word. We're currently in a message series entitled Gospel Threads where we are seeing gospel themes uh, that are surfacing and found in the book of Genesis. And my hope today is to weave this story in Genesis chapter 21 with uh, the greater story, the story that uh, we celebrate and we remember in this particular week especially of uh, the Christian calendar. As we think about the coming of Christ to us, the coming of a Messiah to us ultimately to lay down His life for us. And I think as we look at God's Word in Genesis chapter 21, the central truth that we'll see, the timeless truth or the timeless principle that we will see in God's Word is that God's faithfulness guarantees the fulfillment of His redemptive program. God's faithfulness, who He is, His faithful character guarantees the fulfillment of his redemptive program. And we see this coming about in Genesis chapter 21. So let me invite you to look with me at Genesis 21 as I begin reading God's word. In that chapter beginning in the first verse. Genesis 21 verse 1. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. And Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Verse 6, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Now as we've been walking through this portion of God's Word, as we've been journeying through Genesis and through the life of Abraham and Sarah, we've been waiting on this particular event to come about. We have been anticipating and waiting on the birth of this child, the promised child, the child Isaac, who the Lord had promised would be born to Abraham and Sarah, miraculously conceived and born to them in Their old age. And certainly they were awaiting this fulfillment as well because the truth is that God had promised this child. And God, the God that we gather in the name of this morning, the God of this book, the God of Scripture, is always faithful to his promises. God is always faithful to his promises. One of the key attributes of who God is, the key truths that is conveyed about the god that we serve through his word is that he is always faithful his word never fails what he says he will accomplish this realization led the, the psalmist to write in psalm 108 i will praise you lord among the nations i will sing of you among the peoples for great is your love higher than the heavens your faithfulness reaches to the skies. God is a, a faithful God who's, whose word never fails and who always keeps his promises. But as we've been looking at this story, as we've been tracing uh, this unfolding story through the lives of Abraham and Sarah, we have to wonder, I think, uh, based on their actions and their response at times, if they really believe this promise from God. They really believed that God was going to deliver uh, on his word here, and we know from chapter to chapter and story to story within this greater story that they sort of oscillated between uh, deep trust and faith in God to fulfill the plans that he had said he would fulfill through them and and a lack of belief in his plans. And We've read about their dishonesty multiple times, putting their own marriage in jeopardy, and we've We've read about their lack of faith in God to provide a child for them, leading leading them to, to look for an alternate way to, to have a child through Hagar, another child being born that was the result of, or that led to great tension within their marriage, and certainly great tension within their family. We read last week in Genesis chapter 20 about God's design for, for faithful marriages, and the reality is, if we're honest, and if we sort of take in this this couple that we've been sort of entering into their life through God's word, Abraham and Sarah, the reality is that, that their marriage was often a train wreck. It was threatened by polygamy and adultery. They didn't have things all figured out. They weren't sort of the model couple that we might look to and say, hey, we want to be like them in in their marriage. It makes us wonder i think if we're truly honest if god really knew what he was doing selecting this couple to be the spiritual ancestors of his people but the reality is god knew exactly what he was doing because it would be god's faithfulness not not their faithfulness not their giftedness not their obedience it would be god's faithfulness that would show up in their lives in order to accomplish and fulfill his redemptive program this couple, Abraham and Sarah, now elderly, 190 were told at the birth of Isaac, well beyond childbearing age, at least for Sarah, they have been waiting and waiting and waiting on the fulfillment of God's promises, and no doubt, we would say that much of that time they were probably questioning God's promises. Doubting whether or not God's promises were going to come about in their own lives, and Perhaps there have been times in your life where you have been waiting on God, waiting on direction from God, knowing that God is our guide according to His Word. He is our shepherd who cares for us and desires to lead us on the right path. Yet there may have been times in your life that you were waiting on God to show you the right path. Perhaps knowing that God is a great healer according to His Word capable of all things. Perhaps there have been times in your life when you have been waiting on God to heal. Or knowing that God is provider. Maybe there have been times in your life when you were waiting on God to show His provision. And the truth that Abraham and Sarah probably didn't realize and that we often fail to recognize is that God's promises are fulfilled in His perfect timing. His promises are fulfilled in His perfect timing, not always in In our desired timing or even in our desired way. But they are fulfilled in His perfect timing. They've been waiting and waiting on a word from the Lord to be fulfilled. And now it is coming about. And in a similar way, the Jews in the first century, prior to the first century. And other converts to Judaism had been waiting and waiting on an expected Savior, an expected Messiah to come and to deliver them from bondage and oppression. In fact, many of them today are, are still waiting on the Messiah to come and deliver them because they failed to recognize the true Messiah because He did not meet their expectations. But God's promises are fulfilled in His perfect timing. And the truth is, when it came to the birth of, of Isaac, just as Isaac's birth was right at the predetermined time of God, so was the Messiah's birth and subsequent death in the predetermined perfect time of God. You see, Paul writes, at just the right time, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly, Romans chapter 5, verse 6. And not only was Christ Christ's first coming at the predetermined perfect time of God. But that same Christ, the Messiah, God in the flesh, our Savior, will come again. He will return according to his word. And his return will also be in God's predetermined perfect timing. Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that God is not slow in keeping his promises. In other words, he's not forgotten about his promise. He's not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Rather, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's promises are fulfilled in His predetermined, perfect timing because He is faithful. And the truth is, for us, as people of God, who know the God of the Bible, who worship the one true God, God's faithfulness ought to ought to lead to an incredible response from us. Firstly, God's faithfulness ought to prompt obedience. God's faithfulness, his faithful character, his steadfast love, ought to lead us to obedience. This is exactly what took place here in Genesis chapter 21 when Abraham realized that God was faithful here. God was faithful and delivered on his word and the birth of this promised child came about, and we read, in verse 4, that Abraham named his son Isaac as he had been instructed, and he circumcised him on the eighth day as God commanded him. God's faithfulness led to Abraham's obedience. And this sounds very similar to what we read in Luke's gospel, the second chapter, when another couple, a young couple, far younger couple, other end of the spectrum, Joseph and Mary, welcomed the birth of another baby. Jesus, the Son of God, another one who was miraculously conceived and and promised and born on earth. and We read in Luke chapter 2 that on the eighth day, when it was time for this child to be circumcised, they named the baby Jesus just as the angel had instructed them. God's faithfulness ought to prompt our obedience. And the truth is, on this particular Sunday... Palm Sunday, one week before Easter Sunday, the crowds welcomed the Messiah. They praised the Messiah, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were ready to devote their lives to following this one, to adoring this one, to obeying this one, until he no longer met their expectations until they realized that he had not come to deliver them from political oppression and bondage under the Romans. He had come for a different purpose, a purpose that they didn't recognize. Certainly at the time, the vast majority wanted nothing to do with. The reality is, though, he came for a far greater reason. Whether they realized it or not, his mission exceeded their expectations of Of who he was. And it was no time at all. A few days later. As we heard read earlier. That they were yelling crucify him. Crucify him. How do we respond. When when Jesus doesn't meet our expectations. Because the reality is. We all have preconceived ideas. About who God ought to be. And about who Jesus is. And have you ever said. Or heard someone say. I can't serve a God who. Would let this child suffer in this way or I I just can't worship a God who would allow people to go to hell or I can't worship a God who wouldn't intervene in my marriage that's falling apart or, or whatever I can't worship a God who you fill in the blank and the reality is Jesus doesn't always meet our expectations but it doesn't change the reality that he is God and that he is worthy of our lives, he's worthy of our obedience, he is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our obedience and God's faithfulness ought to evoke joy. That's faithfulness ought to prompt our obedience as his people and our, God's faithfulness ought to evoke joy in us. And this is exactly what we see in Sarah's life in verses 6 and 7 of Genesis chapter 21. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Previously, some time back, prior to this. About a year prior to this. Genesis chapter 18, we read about Sarah overhearing this promise of a, a child. And what does she do? She laughs. That time, though, in disbelief, this time, she's laughing in joy. She's filled with joy. She's filled with delight as she realizes that God's faithfulness has come about in her own life. She is filled with joy because she perhaps realizes that God's faithfulness guarantees the fulfillment of His plan, of His program. And the crowds that welcomed Jesus on Palm Sunday seemed to be filled with joy, yet it was a false joy because it didn't last. True joy is not dependent on outward circumstances. We know this according to God's Word. True joy is dependent on on knowing the forever faithful God despite present circumstances? Do you know the forever faithful God? And this week certainly every week but this week and particularly we as believers in Jesus Christ as followers of Christ, as Christians we ought to be characterized by a great and tremendous joy because of the mission of God that was accomplished on the cross in our behalf. Earlier we heard the choir sing of the wonderful cross. How in the world could we call something wonderful that was an instrument of torture and punishment and judgment? But the reality is for us, Christians, followers of Christ, we can call it wonderful because we know that it was God's plan, that it was His program, that it was His avenue of accomplishing for us what we could not accomplish on our own. And now the presence of Christ. As believers gathered here today on a Sunday morning, we know that the presence of Christ continues to be with us through His Spirit. And we can rejoice in that truth. We ought to praise God because He is faithful. And in the rest of this story, we see that because God is faithful, He ensures that His plan will be accomplished. Because of his faithfulness because of who he is god ensures that his plan that his redemptive plan that his redemptive program will indeed be accomplished look back at genesis chapter 21 as we pick up the rest of the story in verse 8 genesis 21 verse 8 the child speaking of isaac the child grew and was weaned on the day isaac was weaned abraham held a great feast But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. Verse 11, The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, Because he is your offspring, verse 14. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. And he set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away. For she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob verse 17, God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, so she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him. From Egypt. I don't know about you, but if you're anything like me, read a passage of scripture like that and sort of step back and say, What's going on here? And here we read about this feast, this banquet that was thrown really in Isaac's honor. And at that occasion, Ishmael, who would have been a teenager at the time, was acting as teenagers sometimes do and began to mock his younger brother, Isaac. We don't know exactly what that looked like. In fact this word is used other places to sort of suggest a, a playful attitude towards someone but in any event it was belittling enough that Sarah was greatly concerned about this she perceived this as a threat to the well-being of her own son the promised child and reality was that that, I, that Ishmael was perceived as a threat to to Isaac and God's plans for Isaac and So God intervened. The reality is God will remove threats to his program. He will remove things that jeopardize his agenda. Because his program and his plan is far greater than what we see on the surface. And certainly this very idea, as you can imagine, distressed Abraham greatly. After all, Ishmael was his son too, his firstborn son. And he's concerned about the well-being of his son The Lord assures him that things will be okay. Do this. Send them away. I will care for them. I will provide. I will will carry out my plans for this child as well. And so, He does so. You know, in a somewhat similar fashion, we, we see that God's mission through Jesus of going to the cross and laying down His life was also threatened even though it was part of God's redemptive program. It's easy for us to sort of look back a long time later and say, the crowds just didn't get it. The religious leaders just didn't get it. The Roman guards just didn't get it. Pilate just didn't get it. Even on some level, the disciples of Jesus just didn't get it. But... We also must remember, we need to remember that God used all of those things to bring about His sovereign plan and purpose to take Jesus to the cross. And if the crowds would have continued to to multiply and to praise Jesus as a great king, then that would have been perceived as a threat to, to God's program of going to the cross. Just as Peter leader of the disciples in the garden, when Jesus is arrested, draws his sword and chops off a servant's ear, ready to fight for his king. Peter's actions were a threat to, to God's program. So God certainly intervened in some form or fashion and removed these things as he does threats to his redemptive program. Because God is faithful, he will remove threats to his program and and we see here and learn through God's Word in Genesis chapter 21 that God will care for all who cry out to Him in faith. God that we serve, the God of the Bible, God who has orchestrated this great redemptive plan to save sinners. is a God who cares for all who cry out to Him in faith. He certainly cared for, for Hagar and Ishmael in a time of great distress. So they cried out to Him to care for Him. They cried out to him to provide for him. God provided for them. And over and over, we see in Scripture that God is, is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. According to Psalm 34, verse 18, that God hears the prayer of all, regardless of circumstance, regardless of situation, that cry out to him in distress. Cry out to Him through faith. I don't know what you're dealing with today. I don't know what circumstances or challenges or discomforts or hardships are present in in your life. The truth, according to God's Word, is that He invites all of us, regardless of circumstance, to cry out to Him in faith today and to know that He hears us and offers hope to us through Jesus Christ. I don't know if there's any sense of hopelessness and despair in your life because of circumstances you are facing. But if there's not presently in in your life, no doubt you have felt such circumstances. And it doesn't take much to turn on the news and hear what's going on in the world on a local level or a national level or an international level. And to hear all sorts of hopeless situations and situations of despair from human trafficking, to burglaries, to murders, to ISIS, to plane hijacks, to all sorts of things. But the truth of the God that we serve is that despite all of these circumstances, despite whatever circumstances that we may be feeling or facing today, He offers us hope through Christ. Jesus Himself, as He hung on the cross Day of his death, told a criminal who who hung next to him, "Today you will see me in paradise." Offering a criminal the hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ, because this man had become had come to faith in Jesus Christ. Folks, God's faithfulness guarantees the fulfillment of His redemptive program. His faithfulness led Him to provide through the birth of this. Child Isaac, who would carry on the promised line, take many twists and turns involving many unworthy people to form a great nation of people that God would call His people. Ultimately, to foreshadow and anticipate, and to lead to the birth of the Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God in the flesh, who would ultimately go to the cross on our behalf. His mission was to redeem us from our sins so that we might be forever right with Him. Folks, this is a grand story. It is a great story. It is a story of redemption. And when we read God's Word, when we read the Bible, when we read this book, let's read it with an eye for that story. Read the Bible for the grand story. You see, the Bible is more than just a collection of little stories that recount miracles and neat events and famous heroes and characters. And the Bible is more than sort of a compilation of rules and regulations. It's even more than just selections of verses and phrases that are helpful to us if we meditate on them or memorize them to pull out in certain situations. It is all those things, but let's not reduce it to any of those things, because the truth is... The Bible is a great and grand story of God saving a broken people who are lost and broken and helpless and hurting without Him. So when we read the Bible, let's read it to understand and to digest and to meditate on and to apply and to live in light of that grand story. Read the Bible for the grand story. Also, we're invited from the principles from God's Word to cry out to God in faith. Cry out to God in faith, cry out to the one who is faithful, with faith in him, knowing that he hears your cries, that he knows your needs, that that he desires to help you, he desires to care for you and to provide for you, whatever anxieties or hardships or challenges or stresses that you may be facing today, know that God invites you to cry out to him in faith, offering you hope always jesus christ our lord read the bible for the grand story cry out to god in faith and because god is a faithful god he invites us to respond to his faithfulness and we are called upon based on who god is and his word to respond to who he is and the reality is he is a faithful god and we invite you together we have opportunity now to respond together to the, the god that we worship the god that we serve the, the one true God, the one who holds the world in his hands, the one who has great power, yet is characterized by great grace. The one who is intimately involved in the affairs of our lives, the one who is always faithful. We're going to respond to him together collectively in just a moment, by praising him, by adoring him, by exalting him. Let me invite you to do so, and certainly respond as the Lord leads you. Know that I'll be down front as well if you would like to speak with me or if I can pray for you or if the lord has laid any uh, faith- related decision on your heart but, father we are grateful for this morning Lord we're grateful for this day and the opportunity once again to gather with your people to look at your word to exalt your name to to praise you through song well we are thankful that you are a faithful God we are thankful that your character is unchanging we are thankful that that you're intimately involved in our lives Lord and though you are the mighty sovereign God, you don't distance yourself from us but rather you have come to us ultimately to rescue us Lord as we go about this day as we go about this week, may we remember the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ may we remember what it is that you have done for us out of love for us and accomplished through that sacrifice for us. Lord, we praise you because you are worthy. We thank you for your faithfulness. Hear our praises now, and it's in Jesus' name I pray.